All right. So something many of you probably know about me and many of you don't. I love thunderstorms. I love them. They're one of my favorite things. I think they are one of the coolest phenomenon in nature. And I have very good memories of sitting out on my porch growing up with my dad. We would go out and we'd watch these these thunderstorms blow through um, and we would just sit out and enjoy it. It, It's always a great reminder of how powerful our God is that he directs the, the bolts of lightning. He directs the storms where to go. And on top of that, it just looks really cool. When, the, when the, the, the sky is flashing like a strobe light, the sound of the rain, the sound of the thunder, I, I enjoy it very, very much. And when I'm talking about thunderstorms, I mean severe thunderstorms. Like your weather app is telling you to seek shelter. That's the kind of storm that I want to be watching. So a couple of months ago, there was supposed to be a really big thunderstorm. And I, I don't have a porch, unfortunately, so I have to sit in my living room. And I, it's, it's a big window, though, like really big. It's like watching a big screen TV, so it gets the job done. Uh, and I was really excited, and you can ask my wife, I get weirdly excited about this. Like, this was my agenda for the night, was I'm putting Maddie to bed, then I'm going to watch the thunderstorm. Might read a book next to the window. So I, I was really ready for this. I got Maddie to bed. I got my, my popcorn ready. I don't actually, I'm not that weird. I don't actually make snacks for it. But I was ready for it. I turned the lights off so I could see it flashing. It was, it's going to be awesome. And it started to, to drizzle a little bit, and I waited, and I waited, and I kept waiting. There was no thunderstorm. Didn't, didn't hardly even drizzle. And I was unreasonably upset at the weatherman for this. I don't know who holds them accountable, but it must be nice to have a job where you can be incorrect and wrong as much as you want with no repercussions. It happened uh, a couple weeks ago as well. We, we told Maddie she was going to go to the park the next day because it was supposed to be warm, a clear day. It was not warm and clear. It was cold and rainy. And Maddie was very disappointed that she couldn't go to the park that day. Now, it's, it's a little bit unfair to be upset with the weatherman. It's not really his fault. He gives us the information, but he doesn't actually make the forecast. The problem is, is that his source is insufficient. And that's not to speak ill of any meteorologists that might be in the room. They use their training, their intelligence, the best technology they have available to to look at the patterns in the weather and predict what will happen in the future for the weather. But despite their best efforts, they just don't know the future. They can look at the patterns. They can make the best predictions according to their wisdom, but it's never going to be a certainty. The future is just not something man can grasp. It is beyond our wisdom. There are things we simply cannot know. And if there are things that we cannot know, like the future, for example, then our wisdom is flawed. It's finite. It's imperfect. And because it is imperfect, it's not really worthy of our trust and our dependence. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 this afternoon, verses 1 through 30. And in this chapter, uh, Daniel and his friends have completed their education that we saw last week in chapter 1, and they are now working in the king's palace. And what we're going to see here is that human wisdom ultimately will fail us. Because it is imperfect, it is inevitably going to fail and frustrate. Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 2, and we'll read the first 13 verses together. 
Starting in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Seems like a fun place for the Chaldeans to be. Now, if you're paying attention to uh, some of the details here, you might notice a little bit of a disconnect in the timing listed here and the timing listed in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we saw that Daniel's education began in the very first year that King Nebuchadnezzar became the king. And he said that his education ran for three years. And here, Daniel is done with his education, but this is taking place, it says, in the second year of the king's reign. I'm not very good at math. I got a C in college math. But I know that this math is not mathing correctly, right? There's a disconnect here. But there is a solution here. What we need to do is account for the, the Babylonian ascension year. And you can see on the chart behind me, a Babylonian king's uh, reign was recorded a little bit differently than we might initially think. So they had what was called an ascension year. So from the time that the king took the throne until that first march, however long that period was, was considered to be his ascension year. And then once you got to march, his official count would start. So Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar became king in September of 605. So from September 605 to March 604 was considered his ascension year. And then every year after that started one, two, three. So you can see by this chart that the third year of Daniel's education coincided with the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So it is a pretty simple solution here. And when we come to this second year, Nebuchadnezzar receives a dream, a dream that he found deeply disturbing, so much so that he was not able to sleep. Now we recognize dreams are simply dreams. 
They don't have secret meanings. They don't have hidden insight that we need to discern or interpret. And many of us have probably experienced something similar to what the king experienced. You wake up from a dream sweating, anxious over what you just dreamed, some kind of nightmare. And you find it very, very difficult to settle your mind, your heart, and return to sleep. And it was probably even more so for the king because in that day, in ancient Babylon, dreams were considered messages from the gods. And they carried important information about the future. So understanding a dream was important because it helped you understand the future, but also it was even more so for a king. This is the king of the largest empire on the planet. So the implications of his future are pretty important. They affect much more than the king. They affect thousands and thousands of people. So Nebuchadnezzar calls his his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, he calls his wise men together so they can explain to him what this dream means. We're not going to dig too much into the individual groups here. The point here is that this represents the peak of Babylonian wisdom, the culmination of of all the wisdom that Babylon has to offer. These are probably different roles and duties, but the point here is that this is the best of the best when it comes to human wisdom. And so uh, he calls them together. He explains how deeply disturbed he is by this dream, and he tells them that you must interpret this for me at once. And the Chaldeans, they seem to be the leading group here because they're the ones that interact with the king. They, they use their, their formal greeting, O king, live forever. And they say, yeah, sure thing. We can interpret the dream. What was your dream? Tell us what you dreamed about, and then we'll tell you what it means. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar makes, uh, or actually, let me back up real quick because there's something else I want to note here. We also read that as they, they make this initial greeting, it says that they spoke in the language of Aramaic. The ESV here, I think, is making a little bit of, of an interpretive choice here in their translation. If we just translate the, this sentence literally, it, it says, then the Chaldeans said to the king, Aramaic. That's it. It doesn't say that they spoke in Aramaic. It just slots the word Aramaic into the end of the sentence. And what's interesting here is that starting from that point all the way to the end of chapter 7, Daniel does not write in Hebrew. He writes in the language of Aramaic. So it seems more likely that Daniel's not describing the language they're speaking in, but this this is kind of an editorial note from Daniel letting us know that what follows is going to be written in a different language. It's going to be written in the language of Aramaic now. Now as to why Daniel changed the language like that, it's a good question. Uh, I don't have a 100% answer for you. A lot of people propose different suggestions. Uh, But in my opinion, the best option seems to be that that chapters 2 through 7 have more of a universal scope. Through these chapters, we see God, the God of heaven, proving and showing himself to be sovereign, not over just Israel, but over every single nation, showing his power over and above Babylon, over and above Persia, over and above any other empire and nation. And the rest of the chapters of the book focus a little bit more back on Israel. So it seems that Daniel kind of took the common language of the day and made those middle chapters available so that even Gentiles could read and learn about the God of Israel. That's the best educated guess I can make. If you want to know other ones, I can talk to you about it after, but that's, that's the best option in my opinion. So coming to verse 5, the tone of the passage starts to heat up a little bit. And the king begins to threaten the wise men. They say, hey, give us the dream and we'll interpret. But then the king says, 
no, 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 that's not how this is going to work. You're going to give me the interpretation, but before you do that, you're going to explain to me the dream that I had. And I'm not going to budge on this. If you fail, you're going to be ripped limb from limb, and your house will be laid in ruins. But laid in ruins, I don't think, captures the full force here, because that word actually literally means dunghill. So he's saying, you're going to be ripped limb from limb, and I'm turning your house into a public restroom. Not a good place for the Chaldeans to be in at this point. And so the wise men, they have to explain the dream, explain the interpretation. If they don't, they face a violent death. But if they succeed, there's great reward. Gifts and rewards and honor from the king. The word reward's probably referring to something specific like a promotion or, or maybe that the king will grant them anything that they ask for. Um, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's pointing to something specific that they probably understood. So what's going on here is that the king feels that his wise men, who, who claim to have spiritual insight, they claim to have the ability to discern wisdom from the gods, he thinks, okay, if you can do that, this should be no problem for you. The king is expecting supernatural wisdom from his wise men. But dream interpretation in Babylon was not a supernatural practice. It, it was simply a method of, of cataloging dreams and cataloging the events that follow them. So they would say, okay, you dream this, and then this happened in the world after, and they would use those, they would look for patterns, kind of like a weatherman looks for patterns in the weather and tries to predict how it will look in the future. Very, very similar thing. And, and so they thought that this formed a, an objective basis that could be applied to any and every dream. So this is not supernatural. They need the dream in order to interpret and that's why they keep asking for it. They hear the king's request, but they keep asking for the dream instead. And he calls them out on their stalling tactics. He says, I know what you're doing. You guys want the dream so you can make something up, tell me what I want to hear to appease me until the times change and I forget about this dream and I move on. But the king is not having any of that. Give me the dream and the interpretation or you die. End of discussion. So the wise men here are stuck. And after they insult the king's justice by telling him that, that no king would ever make such a request of their people because it's so unreasonable, after they do this, they make two telling admissions. First, they admit to the king they're incapable of doing what he's asked. And nobody else is capable either. What the king is asking is beyond human wisdom, beyond even the wisest men in all of Babylon. And then in verse 11, they admit that what the king is seeking is something that only the gods can grant. But because the gods don't dwell with humans, there's no way to attain this wisdom. They're admitting to the king, we don't have the spiritual insight that, that you think we have. These wise men are the ones who are supposed to have access into the spiritual realm. They're supposed to discern the wisdom of the gods, but they have openly admitted they cannot confessing to the king that they're nothing more than clever con men. And we see here that the best of man's wisdom has failed them. Human wisdom is limited and insufficient. It will always fail or frustrate us. The wisdom that the king needed was outside of man's grasp. The wisdom that the wise men had was not enough. It was insufficient. Now, this doesn't mean that, that every non-Christian is a moron with, with nothing intelligent to say. These wise men were very, very smart, very wise. We have records from, from a 5th century Babylonian astrologer 
And he attempted to determine the exact length of, of a year just based on looking at the, the movement of the stars. And at the end of the year, when he did his tally, he was really, really close. He was off by 27 minutes, less than 27 minutes. I couldn't do that right now. Uh, I don't know anybody else in this room that could probably do that right now. And he had none of the technology, none of the things that we had. So these people were very, very, very intelligent. But that is not what makes somebody wise. Intelligence alone will not make you truly wise. I mean, look around at the world that we live in. Like all, all of us would agree that as a, as a whole, our world depends on human wisdom, whatever shape that may take. Our world is, is broken, sin-ridden. There's oppression and violence and lying and stealing and cheating and greed and selfishness. We've got 8 billion people on this planet. It's a lot of human wisdom to go around. You would think that after billions and billions of people, after thousands and thousands of years, that human wisdom would bring some type of solution to these problems, but it can't because our wisdom is inherently as flawed as we are. The prophet Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 47 that human wisdom leads to self-dependence and it leads us into sin and away from God. James 3 tells us that the wisdom of the world or wisdom that is earthly and demonic leads to, to jealousy, selfishness, and every vile practice. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, its way is death. If we depend on our own wisdom or the wisdom of the world to guide our daily living, to determine how you spend your money, who influences your thoughts and actions? To, to influence your goals in life, the way that you treat people or the way that you spend your time, then we are foolish. Because human wisdom, it, it doesn't save us from sin and death. It produces sin and death. And the wise men learned a tough lesson here that human wisdom alone cannot be depended on. As great as their wisdom was, smarter than anybody in the land, it couldn't save them. It could not spare them from the king's wrath. And in the same way, human wisdom will not save us or spare us from the wrath of God against our sin. It will not produce what we need. Whatever angle we look at, human wisdom falls short because it is limited and insufficient. <clears throat> in his frustration at the insufficiency of his wise men's wisdom the king issues a decree. He calls for the execution of every single wise man in the kingdom, not just the ones that frustrated him there, every one of them, including Daniel and his friends. But in the wake of the king's decree, Daniel shows us there is an alternative to human wisdom, and he shows us where we ought to look for wisdom that will not fail and will not frustrate. Let's keep reading in our passage. We'll, we'll read from verse 14 through verse 19. <clears throat> Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. 
Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Arioch, the man tasked with, with rallying up the, rounding up the wise men and ensuring their execution, he finds Daniel and he explains the king's decree to him. And it says that Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. So in other words, he replied wisely and with tact. His, his response was respectful and it was appropriate for uh, Arioch's position and station. He doesn't panic. He, he doesn't accuse Arioch or the king of any wrongdoing. He was thoughtful and respectful and wise. And when Daniel asks Arioch about the king's decree, the ESV uses the word urgent, but I think harsh is probably a better translation here. But the point is Daniel wants to know what's going on. What, what, why, what led to this decree to have me and every other wise man condemned to death? And he hears this explanation from Arioch, and then Daniel makes a, another bold request, just like he did in chapter 1. But this time, he's asking Arioch to get him an audience with the king. Because Daniel says, he, I'm going to give him the dream and the interpretation that he is asking for. At this point, Daniel doesn't know anything about the dream. He doesn't know about the interpretation. He doesn't know any of this information. But, but notice the difference between Daniel and the rest of the wise men. As soon as the request was made to the wise men, they're scrambling for a way out. They're trying to push it off. They're, they're trying to convince the king that he's being unreasonable, pleading with him to reconsider. And they openly admit that they, they simply cannot do it. That's not what Daniel does. Daniel doesn't panic. He doesn't run. He doesn't plead, with, plead for mercy from Arioch or from the king. He deals wisely with Arioch to obtain an audience with the king. The difference between Daniel and the wise men is the source of their wisdom. The wise men look to themselves. They look to maybe the other wise men. But what they find is that that wisdom is terribly insufficient and it cannot deliver them. But Daniel knows where to look for a wisdom that is far greater than his own. So Daniel returns home to his friends. He explains what has happened and he urges them to seek mercy from the God of heaven so that he might reveal this mystery to them and they may escape destruction. And I love this response. These are four teenage boys who have just been told, we are going to kill you if you can't come up with this crazy dream and interpretation. And the first thing they do is say, okay, guys, let us kneel before the God of heaven in prayer and seek mercy from him and ask him to reveal this wisdom. And the Lord answers those prayers. Sometime in that night, Daniel receives a vision with the answer to the prayer. And God has done what the wise men of Babylon could not. The wisdom of God has prevailed where the wisdom of men failed. The wisdom of God saved where the wisdom of, God, a wisdom of man could not. God's wisdom is totally sufficient. God's wisdom is not bound and limited as human wisdom is. God can deliver and God shares his wisdom with his people. God's wisdom is unlimited and sufficient. That's number two if you're taking notes. It's foolish for us to trust the wisdom of man when there is a source of much, much greater wisdom available to us. And it is available to us. The wisdom of God is freely given to his people. That's what James says in James chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God because God gives wisdom generously to his people. We have a promise in God's word that he will answer our prayers for wisdom, that he will give us the wisdom we need. He is faithful to answer the prayers of his people for wisdom. 
just like he was for Daniel. And the method might be a little bit different. Right, Daniel got a vision. We're probably not gonna get a vision. We live at a different stage in redemptive history. We live after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have the written word of God. He has given that to us so we would know how to live, how to act wisely. And this primarily, this book is how we differentiate between God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. You're not going to face anything in this life that is not directly or indirectly addressed in God's word. Everything we need to be a faithful follower of Jesus is in the Bible. That is where we find true wisdom. But just because he's given us his word doesn't mean we shouldn't also turn to him in prayer. We absolutely should and must look to the Lord in prayer. Seek wisdom from him just as Daniel did because he does answer those prayers. And this doesn't mean that that he's gonna reveal the secrets of the universe to us whenever we ask. He didn't give Daniel everything that he could ever ask for, right? But he gave Daniel exactly what he needed. That's how God answers our prayers for wisdom as well, by giving us what we need in that moment. And it may seem a little bit more subtle than how he answered Daniel, but it's, it's, it's no less spectacular. The way that God often answers our prayer for wisdom is through the Spirit laying biblical truth on our hearts, calling a passage of Scripture to memory. Other times the Spirit may use other believers to remind us of what God has revealed in his word. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the Spirit works in believers and gives them the wisdom to understand God's word. All of the wisdom we need is supplied by God. He has revealed it to us in his word. And he, reve- he answers our prayers for wisdom by drawing our minds to the truth and the wisdom that he has revealed to us. This is what should guide our actions, our choices every single day. By revealing this dream to Daniel, God has shown that, that his wisdom truly is unlimited. Man cannot grasp the future, but God can. God knows all things. There's no deficiency in his wisdom. So we can trust that it will not lead us astray. It will always lead us in the way that we should go. But it doesn't stop just at guiding our daily lives, our actions and choices. The wisdom of God is further reaching than that. God's wisdom was sufficient to save Daniel from the wrath of the king. It is equally sufficient for the salvation of every one of us. Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament that, that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God, the personification of wisdom, that the, the, the world saw the cross as foolishness, but the cross was actually the wisdom of God. So in that sense, the wisdom of God is not only sufficient for helping us navigate this life, but it is sufficient to save us from our sin as well. The wisdom of God will not fail. It will not frustrate. And because it is unlimited and perfectly sufficient, it deserves our trust. And when we consider the vastness of God's wisdom, it should move us to praise him, to thank him for it. And that's exactly what Daniel does in this next section. Daniel's life is still hanging in the balance. He's on the clock here. But even before he goes to the king to to spare his own life, he stops to praise God and thank him for the wisdom that he freely gives. We've got 10 more verses. 
verses 20 through 30. Let's take a moment and read those together. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be, may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So as God gives this wisdom to Daniel, he is moved to prayer and he calls for unending praise to God's name. And God's name here is equivalent to, to his character and all that he does. And according to Daniel, God deserves his praise because of his perfect wisdom and power. In answering Daniel's prayer, revealing this mystery, God's proven that all wisdom and all power belong to him. And then Daniel praises the sovereignty of God. He says, you control the passing of time, the changing of seasons. You cause kings to rise and fall. Daniel's saying that there is no event that in all of human history that has occurred outside of God's sovereign control. And this God of perfect wisdom and power shares his wisdom freely with his servants. Because anyone who is truly wise, anyone who is truly knowledgeable, receives that wisdom and knowledge from God himself. The Chaldeans made clear to the king that you're out of luck, king. Certain things are simply beyond man's reach. Certain wisdom is not attainable for us. The same is not true for Daniel's God. Daniel's God reveals deep and hidden things. All of the wisdom and knowledge that's shrouded in darkness for us is clear as day for the Lord. Nothing can hide from him because his wisdom, his power, his sovereignty, all of it is limitless. And when Daniel addresses God here, he says that to the God of my fathers, and that's a term of, uh, that indicates intimacy and relationship. This God of unlimited power and wisdom is not distant like the so-called gods of Babylon are. He is a God that hears the prayers of his people and sufficiently meets their needs. And I think all of us would do well to follow Daniel's example here. 
to actually take the time to go and, and praise God when he answers the prayers that we ask. Because I think a lot of times, we're a lot quicker to ask God for help, to ask for wisdom, and a lot slower to thank him and praise him when he actually provides that help. That a God this big, this wise, and this powerful would hear and answer our prayers is nothing short of amazing, and he deserves our praises for it. But the larger point being made here is how much greater God's wisdom is than the wisdom of man, than the wisdom of Babylon and their gods. This is what the king learns in this exchange with Daniel here, and as we'll see next week as, he, as Daniel interprets the dream for him. But God's wisdom is greater than human wisdom. God's wisdom is greater than human wisdom. And this has been demonstrated already through the contrast between the wise men and Daniel. But now the king is seeing it firsthand as Daniel comes in to meet and speak with him. And one could imagine this is a pretty nerve-wracking thing for Daniel. But God has already answered and delivered. So Daniel doesn't have to waver. He doesn't have to hesitate here. Daniel approaches the king with confidence and boldness because he trusts in the wisdom of his God. And I think when, when Arioch brings, the, the brings Daniel before the king here, I think he's trying to take a little bit of the, the credit here. He's trying to say, oh, yeah, king, I have found this man from Judah. He's going to make known to you the interpretation. So he kind of frames it as, as this, this is his idea that he's done this and, and made this possible. Uh, but, but whatever his motive was, he brings Daniel in before the king. So Daniel standing before the most powerful man on the planet, and this man asks him to provide the interpretation and the dream. And at first, Daniel's answer doesn't sound too, much, too, too different from the wise men. He says, king, nobody can do this. No enchanter, no astrologer, no wise man can answer what you have asked. But there is a God in heaven who can. A God in heaven who is not limited as your wise men are. He knows what is to come. He knows the future that is coming. And in verses 29 through 30, Daniel makes clear that, that it is his God alone that knows and reveals these things. Daniel says that this was not me. This is not because of any wisdom that I have different from anybody else. God has sent you this dream so that you would know what is to come. And we'll see next week that God sends this to him so that, so that the king would recognize that God is sovereign even over Babylon, that his wisdom is greater than Babylon and its wise men. What we see through this chapter is that, that the thing that sets Daniel apart is the source of his wisdom. The Chaldeans, totally dependent on their own, on their own wisdom, on, on man's wisdom, and find that it cannot save them. It is insufficient. The gods of Babylon offered no help, no wisdom to them whatsoever. But through Daniel, God now proves that he is the only one that can accomplish what the king has asked. It's because his wisdom is sufficient totally and perfectly unlimited. And that's why Daniel was successful, because he trusted the only source of sufficient wisdom. If you and I wish to be truly wise, we need to follow Daniel's example and trust only in the unlimited and sufficient wisdom of the Lord. That's the big idea for us this week. Trust only in the unlimited and sufficient wisdom of God. As I said earlier, there, there's many brilliant non-Christians. They probably have great advice for you on a bunch of different issues. God has given common grace to all people, even those who hate God, are intelligent. But that can't be the guiding wisdom for us. 
because all human wisdom eventually leads to sin and death. And it will never save us from that sin and death. It cannot lead us toward God. There's a whole bunch of non-Christian Bible scholars, a whole bunch of them, 10 times smarter than me, way better at Greek and Hebrew than I am. But their wisdom is, is insufficient. Their dependence on their own wisdom leaves them unable to really grasp the implications of God's word. It leaves them unable to grasp their, 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 or recognize their need for the gospel, their need for a savior. A person can be the wisest person on the planet, but by depending only on their wisdom, they place themselves among the most foolish. And I think the issue here for us is that of dependence. Where do you turn when you find yourself in need of wisdom? Do you rely on human sources of wisdom to guide your choices and your actions? Or do, do you turn to the wisdom of the Lord? When the experts of human wisdom tell you to act contrary to the wisdom revealed in God's word, who do you trust? If you find that, that your marriage is struggling, nothing major, nobody cheated or anything like that, but neither you or your spouse are happy. The busyness of life has just caused the flame to fizzle out. Will you listen to the friends or the counselors that say, you know, I think it's time to consider a divorce because you can both move on. You'll both be a lot happier. Or will you trust in the wisdom of God? Will you trust what God's word has said where he has told us that instead we should remain faithful and continue loving and serving our spouse even when it gets difficult? When you make a major decision, do you seek counsel from mature believers who are going to help you seek wisdom from God through his word and through prayer? Or do you primarily rely on those friends who couldn't care less about your relationship with Christ? It will not always be the easiest option. In fact, I found that many times it's the harder option. But trusting in God's wisdom is always the right option. Nothing is hidden from God. There is nothing past, present, or future that he does not know. Nothing in all of human history has occurred outside of his sovereign control and care. And because his wisdom is unlimited and perfect, he is the only one we can rightly trust to guide us in the way that we should go. When you find yourself needing wisdom, go to the proper source. Daniel did not plead with the king. He didn't conspire with the other wise men. He didn't plot and scheme and try to escape with his friends. He didn't do what any other person in his shoes would have done. Instead, he grabbed his friends and said, let us kneel before the God of heaven. Let us seek wisdom from him. Because he knew that was the only place he would find what he needed. Those who are truly wise are not the best and the brightest, not the most successful, the wealthiest, the most intelligent. The only people who can be considered truly wise are those who humbly seek and depend upon the wisdom of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you truly are wise. You are perfect in wisdom and knowledge, and it is humbling to think that you share that freely with us. Lord, and I don't know what everyone in this room is going through, 
But I know that all of us, every day, are in need of wisdom. And I pray that your spirit would, would guide us and convict our hearts to return daily to the only source of sufficient wisdom. Let us not trust or depend on the wisdom of man, but let us look to you for, for the guidance in our lives. Let us look to you to know the way that we should go. We thank you that your wisdom is sufficient not only to lead us and guide us in righteousness, but also for our salvation. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, and we thank you for his sacrifice that has made a way for us to be forgiven and to know you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.